This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. And if you want to help support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or you can simply leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton. Now, Tiny, how's it going? Oh, wonderful. Nice, nice. Uh, So, do you want to talk about what we're doing today or yeah we're doing a, a splice job today nice essentially yeah. that's a fun word splice it is don't get to use it often because we're not scientists right speaking or of are we no <laughs> <laughs> um you're you're an audio scientist oh jesus christ <laughs> yeah put it on your resume sure, um yeah. so we have some a recording from weeks ago that we uh recorded um and it's the Audio quality is a little questionable yeah. at times. Full disclosure, at the time of this recording, I haven't re-listened to that recording since we since since I discovered how uh, awful it was. <laughs> so, and uh, I decided not to release that recording for a couple reasons. Um, it's our episode uh, that we record a full episode we recorded um, the the first week of March, and. Um, it was an Oscars uh, reaction episode or breakdown episode after the Oscars and a uh, Deadpool review. And when I rec- when I listened to it, it had a lot of static. I tried to clean it up, but it still had a little bit of static. And then just for various reasons, various personal reasons, I just didn't – I wasn't in the right frame of mind to put in the effort to do all that. Right. Uh, so I just set it aside, and then last, the week before last, I think, I had actually taken a segment of that episode, the uh, the part of the potpourri where I reviewed Stagecoach, and I spliced it into our episode two weeks ago, and it sounded pretty okay. So um, as an experiment, we're going to have a hybrid uh, brief potpourri episode slash B-roll episode, so... We're going to have some new content for you here at the front end of this episode, and then we're going to fill it out with our breakdown of the Oscars and our review of Deadpool from two months ago. <laughs> so Yeah, it's unfortunate yeah. that it had to happen with that because Deadpool was so popular and right. uh, we uh, we liked it a lot. So Yeah, yep. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of the rundown for the episode. But before we get to our kind of brief potpourri, there's been a few news items that have popped up uh, in the last few days that I kind of wanted to just kind of discuss on the podcast for um, before we get to our potpourri section. Okay, so for the first piece of news for the episode, um, this is actually something that caught me off guard personally. Um, the There's going to be a revival of the Twilight Zone created by or made by uh, uh, the guy who made Bioshock, the video games, Ken Levine. Um, he's going to write and direct the pilot episode of the Twilight Zone revival, which it hasn't been said, but I think it's it's implied that it's going to be on CBS's All Access app, which is where the new Star Trek series is going to go. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so on paper, like that sounds really interesting, and I'm I'm really uh, e- eager for it. Um, particularly, I am because I started a podcast about um, the Twilight Zone and anthology science fiction storytelling, which I am in the process of relaunching because it fell apart. Um, 
after September. I apologize for that, but I just didn't get uh, a chance to get back into it. But I'm going to relaunch it soon with a new format and hopefully be able to stick with it um, in a better in a better consistent schedule. But anyway, the kind of big thing about this uh, Twilight Zone revival is that it's going to be an interactive show. So uh, I guess the idea is that uh, viewers will be able to alter the course of the story, like using the app or something like that. Um, just basically like a choose your own adventure kind of thing, mm-hmm. which um, is a unique idea. Tiny, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. You know, it, it really, they haven't been specific at all. They just said it's an interactive show, right? which is such a broad term. It could mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of hope they do the choose your own adventure kind of thing. Cause that, I think that's, that makes sense. That seems mm-hmm. like the only kind of thing that would really work. Um, but, but who knows? I mean, they could be doing something really revolutionary here. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm definitely very curious to see what it does. Nice. Very nice. Um, I am kind of on a more stubborn ground for this. Okay. Um, I just, I don't know. Something about it just doesn't feel right to me. I don't, I don't like the idea of it being an interactive thing. Like there's, there have been, um, it's worked. It's worked in the past with like, uh, like Clue had different endings, yeah. um, which and that's a different that's a different case and everything. But um, also, I think that the DVD for uh, Final Destination Three had like an interactive like like choose if the person should die or not um, special feature. Hmm. So it's not like. So I mean, this is ground that this is ground that has been covered before in a certain uh, extent, I guess, or a certain uh, aspect, but. I think that taking the brand of the Twilight Zone with this, I think that's my biggest, uh, my the the point where I have the most uh, contention with it because, yeah, like if they if they were to create a show uh, from scratch to do this, I would be interested in it as an experimental thing. Maybe it'll drive people to uh, CBS's thing, assuming that it's going to be on the CBS app, but. To have Twilight Zone, one of the big things about the show, the classic series, the classic Rod Serling series from the uh, 50, late 50s, early 60s, um, was that it was a platform for um, really genius science fiction writers to um, to to write for the show. And uh, I'm thinking like Richard Matheson uh, wrote most... Or, or okay, so Rod Sterling wrote most of the episodes, like the vast majority of episodes, and then I think I think second under him was, uh, with the amount of writing was Richard Matheson, who who wrote uh, I Am Legend, and and he's a very famous sci-fi writer. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like having having an interactive story, or having a story that you think of the most iconic Twilight Zone episodes. You think of um like uh the the one with William Shatner with the the goblin on the plane um and then and then uh time enough at last where uh uh, uh Burgess Meredith and and uh is the bookworm uh uh hmm. and those are all like the most iconic moments of the twilight zone are all like they're fully realized stories and everything um but i feel like to have it would be a challenge to have a fully realized story when the different segments of each story are being branched out into different segments and it's going, it's a branching story instead of a full, fully realized story. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, like it might kind of ruin the cohesiveness of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll, 
it'll uh it'll handy or it'll uh it'll handicap the writers too. Yeah. And, and, and you know, plus I mean the Twilight Zone is already so unique. Mm-hmm. Like it's already it's already such a I don't know, it it has it has this storytelling uh dynamic to it, you know, where it's it's introduced. It's like you're about to enter the Twilight Zone. So right. it's like you know you're watching a story, but it's so immersive that it yeah. that it captivates you anyways and it's it's already just so it's so good and it's just iconic and it's 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 stuff that people have never seen before. It's those yeah. kind of stories and so you don't necessarily need to put a spin on it. Yeah, or like a gimmick. A gimmick or really. Yeah. yeah. I mean you could definitely call this a gimmick, I think. Yeah. I mean, it it just doesn't I don't think it needs that. Right. And I haven't been reading like the uh the reactions to it or anything, but I happen to know that the Twilight Zone fans are very uh very rabid. Like I yeah. I <laughs> in the first episode of Anthology, I made uh the mistake of stupidly on my part, I made the mistake of mispronouncing Rod Sterling's name as Rod Sterling. Yeah. And I prefaced it and everything and I got a scathing review on iTunes from for it, so <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. I'm over it, whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> No, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I don't know. How'd you feel about about the Bioshock games? Great stories, which yeah. which is yeah. in it's in the spirit of uh of the Twilight Zone. The, right. These very, uh, especially the the characters are very mysterious and everything. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's uh, a storytelling technique that lends itself well mm-hmm. to the the universe of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I have a lot of confidence in Ken Levine as a storyteller right. um, and, and his ability to create something awesome because um, that's what Bioshock was. It was very, again, unique, not to overuse that word, but uh, <laughs> kind of a one-of-a-kind uh, one story. So I have confidence in him. We'll, we'll see what he can do with, with the series. Right. I haven't played Bioshock in, I mean, a long, long time, but I I enjoyed it. Um Mm-hmm. And I was always really interested to go back and play the last one, I think. Yeah. I always, I mean, when I was playing it, I only played the first one, like half a second one. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the story. I, I enjoyed it more as a story than I did the game. Nice. I mean, not that I didn't like playing it or anything, but right. the, the story was the best part. Yeah. So so we'll see what Ken Levine uh, comes up with, and uh, we'll probably report back. And hopefully I'll be talking about it on Anthology because I really need to reboot that uh podcast cool it's been a long time so anyway uh the next piece of news we have well we're gonna we're not gonna spend too much time on this one but um the first picture of uh elizabeth banks as rita repulsa in the new power rangers movie was released and uh more classic sci-fi yeah yeah (laughs) um uh it was actually all of our news is (laughs) but um (laughs) jesus uh yeah, so the tiny what was your reaction to the photo of Elizabeth Banks? And what did you feel how did you feel about her being cast in the in the beginning? You you weren't really a big Power Rangers fan, were you? Oh, I was. Yeah, I loved nice. the show. Um and I wanted the Megazord toy oh, so yeah. bad. But it was like 100 bucks. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know. I remember one year I got like a ton of Power Ranger toys. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I wanted it so bad, and I never got it. Um, oh wow, that yeah. sucks. Anyways, um, yeah, I love the show, and and when I saw the picture of Elizabeth Banks, I was like, Rita Repulse is not supposed to be hot. Because <laughs> right. Elizabeth Banks is gorgeous. Yeah. And you know, uh, when they casted her, I was like, really? That's kind of weird. I figured they'd do some makeup and mm-hmm. something crazy, but she's got like a low cut top on and a lot of skin, and 
I was like, she's she's hot. It's like she's looking at me seductively. Like, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it it was just a weird feeling thinking about a Power Rangers uh, villain. Yeah. So I'm pretty skeptical of the project overall, based just on that picture. Right. It also made me laugh because all I thought was like, wow. So the the first official picture of the villain in. Uh, the Power Rangers movie, Rita Repulsa, does not look anything like Rita Repulsa. It's like the villain in uh, X-Men Apocalypse looks more like a Power Rangers villain than the Power Rangers villain <laughs> That's funny. in the Power Rangers movie. <laughs> and I don't I don't know. I, I think that it is it is a little scantily clad and, and it's a it's a little too much skin for what the show um, or what the movie should be uh, capturing assuming that it's, you know, going to be true to the show. But, I don't know. I think that it's going to... I think that the physical aspect of it, the the visual, the um, the way she's made up and everything, I think that's going to be secondary to her, her performance itself. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm thinking of her in uh, the Hunger Games movies. Like, she was very animated and she was, she was very good at playing that uh-huh. that role. I think that she... If they, if they, if she has the right direction and they're, they're going for like an honest portrayal or not honest, but a true to the source material, true to the source material portrayal of Rita Repulsa, I think that she will nail it. But I mean, the picture doesn't really inspire confidence. No, not so much. Yeah. The show was, you know, the show was kind of wholesome. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, all the characters were all, the characters weren't really that flawed, I guess. I don't know. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't really into character development when I was nine. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, just, you know, it was. I don't know. I. It was pretty straightforward. It had like uh, some light, like teen romance subplots and stuff yeah. like that. And. Uh, and I mean, the Power Rangers did beat some out of some well, monsters, yeah. so that's yeah. not exactly wholesome. But <laughs> you know, it it condones violence. Right, but I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like, you know, they weren't half naked and. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's the point I was making. Yeah, right. it's, it wasn't sexy. Right. You know. Um. So yeah. So and then okay. So that's that's that piece of news. And then we're gonna kind of end the news segment with a kind of a big news item that came up. Um. So James Cameron announced that there's gonna be uh four more. Avatar sequels. Like, the plan is to have Avatar 2 come out around Christmas 2018, with Avatar 3 coming out in 2020, Avatar 4 in 2022, and Avatar 5 in 2023. Good God. Yeah. And, uh, this is, this is his quote about the process of doing it. And, I, well, okay. Here's the quote. (laughs) Quote, it's not back-to-back. It's really all one big production. It's more the way you would shoot a miniseries. So we'll be shooting across all Avatar scripts simultaneously. So Monday I might be doing a scene for movie four, and Tuesday I'm doing a scene for movie one. We're working across essentially eight hours of story. It's going to be a big challenge to keep it all fixed in our minds, exactly where we are, across the story arc, at any given point. It's going to probably be the most challenging thing I've ever done. I'm sure the actors will be challenged by that as well. It's like, no, 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 this person hasn't died yet, so you're still in this phase of your life. It's a saga. It's like doing all three Godfather films at the same time. That sounds awful. <laughs> Just awful. 
It, man, I, yeah. Tiny, how, how was that a positive environment for, you know, creativity? I really don't know. Jeez. I mean, okay, so, so James Cameron, I've been outspoken about him. I'm not, I'm not a big James Cameron fan. Like, I recognize that he is a visionary and that he has pushed the boundaries of the medium with pretty much every project he's had. I just, I've, I've never really connected to his storytelling in in his movies i really like the abyss and i really like uh aliens um i need to go back and revisit the terminator and t2 but um but like as far as like titanic and avatar like and even true lies i wasn't too crazy about the story but just the storytelling i just i just didn't connect to it at all like mm-hmm. and i feel like we can talk more about avatar here in a minute but avatar was just i just i i just didn't like the movie um and so this is alarming. It's uh it I I don't know. It's like you said tiny. It's very it sounds like an awful idea. <laughs> it sounds industrious. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like they're uh putting movies on a production line. Right, yeah. As opposed to it doesn't sound artistic to me. Right. I I'm not a filmmaker, but jeez. Yeah. And there's been a lot of like discussion around the internet recently of, or in the last year or so. Um, about the cultural impact of Avatar, like the Slash Film cast brought it up a lot over uh, the course of their time, and then like I can I think around the time that um, what's it called? Um, Star Wars came out. <laughs> it, it was in the cultural cultural conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a tweet, Tiny, that I kind of want to I kind of want to pitch this to you. Can I have that for a second? Absolutely. Okay. The tweet was, "Hey, right now, try to quote Avatar, the highest grossing movie of all time. Quote any line or name two characters. No cheating." That was from Dana Schwartz on Twitter. Uh, off the top of your head, Tiny, can you? I mean, I I can. I I. It took me like a minute, but I can think of a <laughs> quote and two name two characters. Go right ahead. Uh, Natiri and Sully was the main character. Yeah, I, I think, think so. that was his name. Yeah, Jesus. It, yeah, it was. That's bad. Uh, and then I always thought it was a really stupid line when the uh, the one Indian doctor mm-hmm. like looked at his brain and he was like, "Wow, that's a gorgeous brain." <laughs> I was like, "You sound so pretentious." Um, but I don't know why. That's that's the line that I chose to me- commit to memory. Yeah, so that kind of speaks volumes of the point that guy was trying to make. <laughs> right. The woman. Dana. Oh, the woman. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's fine. Um. I'm not her. So Sorry, fine. Dana. Um. Anyway, so yeah. So what? How did you? Before we get into talking about this crazy plan, what did you think of Avatar itself? Because you were a defender. You brought the Blu-ray, so I could borrow it. Yeah. Um. I liked it, but I. So many criticisms of it are so warranted, and uh, <laughs> I agree 100 percent that that it's not very well constructed, and it's uh his the dialogue that James Cameron comes up with is just, just hashtag WTF most of the time. <laughs> um, so I, he's, he's indefensible in those categories, but, uh, like you said, he's a visionary and mm-hmm. from, from a visual standpoint, it's an incredibly impressive film. Uh, but you know, so was transformers. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's like yeah. that just, you, you can only stand on certain laurels for so long. And right. James Cameron, it seems to be kind of a one-trick pony in that respect. Yeah, and it seems like he's just kind of just he's intentionally just jumping in, and he's committing the rest of his career to the Avatar universe and Pandora and all that. Which I mean, 
and I want to be clear about this. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Avatar. I don't, I just flat out don't like the movie. I mm-hmm. agree the visuals are, um, are incredible. And I thought that the 3D effects in the theater were, were unlike anything I'd ever seen up to that point. But God, I just hate, I just did not like the story. The story was derivative and boring formulaic. and form, way formulaic. Yeah. Um, and just, just really just stupid. It was just not, I just did not like the movie. As were all the characters. Right. Oh, yeah. One dimensional. Oh, absolutely. Um, so it has so many problems and everything, but it's also like, I mean, James Cameron is the guy who made Aliens and T2. (laughs) Like, he has created two, two of the, if not the flat out, just, just the best science fiction sequels of all time. Yeah. And here he has uh, a science fiction sequel. <laughs> right. And so he has a track record for this. And I can kind of respect on paper the fact that he is basically, I think I saw a tweet from, I want to say it was maybe Matt Singer, but um, a tweet somewhere when this news hit that he's basically creating his own cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, and I can kind of respect that. Like he's, he's, he's created this playground that he's going to, he's created the sandbox that he's just going to play in for yeah. the rest of his career. And I mean, cool. I hope that it yields some good, uh, movies. As do I. I bet, uh, Sam Worthington and, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, uh, uh Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. Yeah. They just must have dollar signs in their eyes. <laughs> Cause seriously. Yeah. Ugh. But we'll see if and when they come out. I don't like, oh, and that's another thing. Okay. So I've, I've made this argument before on the podcast. Um, I'm sure, but by the time that this movie comes out, like it's a, it's a vastly different, um, cinematic landscape than it was back in what, 2009? Yeah. I was just looking at that. I was like, this yeah, came out in 2009, didn't it? Yeah. So the first, the first sequel is going to come out in, uh, 2018, if it doesn't get pushed back again, which has been getting pushed back since like, what, 2014, 2013? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, if you think to 2009, like, uh, uh, Marvel Studios just came out with the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man. Like, this is, this was right on the cusp of this current huge, trend of uh comic book shared universes and all this stuff like i mean uh i I need to i i need to cross check this but uh when avatar came out there was only one version of uh, spider-man on the screen yeah um like one uh one one universe or one iteration of spider-man right and now (laughs) uh as of right now we're about to see our third uh, interpretation of Spider-Man yeah. um, on the screen in Civil War. Who knows how many more there's going to be before 2018? Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so like we have that. We have we have Marvel. We have DC coming out. Uh, however, they're going to adjust after Batman v Superman. If they are going to adjust, I don't know. But yeah. So we have DC, Marvel, Star Wars coming out every year. Um, the latest, whatever the latest young adult dystopian yeah. uh, adaptation is. So I just don't know if the calendar can fit another giant Smurf movie. <laughs> um, Cat Smurfs. Cat Smurfs. <laughs> um, but I don't. I don't know. And again, like it, it's James Cameron. He's gonna. 
he's doing something unique. And even though, I don't know, I, 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 again, I don't really know the, uh, I don't have confirmation on this or not, but I, I think I read somewhere that he was, like, he was writing, he was writing the Aliens script, like, while he was, either while he was working on T2 or while he was writing T2 or something like that. Or I think he, I, I don't know, he was writing two of his biggest scripts at the same time, pretty much simultaneously. Wow. So, I don't know. I don't. I'm kind of curious to see what the public reaction will be because, like you said, all that, you know, third phase of the Marvel universe is mm-hmm. kicking on, and it'll be in full the full throes by the time that comes out. Um, who knows what's going to happen with DC? I think the lukewarm reaction to Batman v Superman is going to have some interesting effects on that. Right. Um, Star Wars. I don't know. I don't know if people are ever going to get fatigued on Star Wars, but right. people might be ready for something different and it's not necessarily going to be different but it's going to be like oh i remember avatar avatar was kind of cool let's see what else is going on in that universe <laughs> okay tiny is anyone actually going to say avatar was kind of cool yeah You're, okay yeah there are i mean there's a lot of people I'm more just being a dick but yeah on. i know there's a lot of people who who hated it and uh, but you know i'm gonna go see i'm gonna go see it in the theater oh i'm i'm, I'm gonna, gonna go see, see it in the theater too yeah, but I mean, it's, i'm just I, I mean i wouldn't go so far as to say i'm excited for it but right. I don't know. When I see the first trailer, I might I might have a complete turnaround. We'll see. Right. Yeah. And I mean, of, of course, all of this is conjecture at this point, purely conjecture at this point. Mm-hmm. But um, it'll it'll be interesting to see what what comes of it and everything. And I'm sure that it's going to make a lot of money. But the question is, like, the first sequel is going to make a ton of money because James Cameron Avatar. See what the big deal is. It's going to get a lot of publicity and everything. Yeah. But I wonder how much it's going to make in subsequent sequels because this is a huge huge risk financially right, right. um yeah but i and mean he, james cameron's kind of like isn't he kind of like george lucas and then he does like he basically makes independent movies i think so so isn't he like pouring all his own money into these yeah jeez i mean that's gotta be like right that's gotta be like five six hundred million dollars probably to make I, four movies i can't even I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm wow. sure it's even hell. I, it's probably more sure than that. It's a lot more than that. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. I don't know if he's funding it all completely himself. That's, yeah. I mean, uh, he's putting up a lot of it himself, I'm sure. But, um, right. But yeah. But I don't know. Even if they're bad, at least we have, uh, The Abyss and True Lies on Blu ray. <laughs> um, we don't. That's, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, priorities. And yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, ugh, God. He he should put his money into that. Yeah, Di- digitally totally. digitally remaster the abyss. Absolutely, and release it on Blu-ray. Right, I'd buy oh, it. I'd buy I would it too. That's... I'd pay thirty, forty bucks for it. Yeah, that might be. Uh, I don't know. That might actually be my favorite James Cameron movie. Oh, that is mine. Nice, without nice. question. Yeah, it's Very been nice. it's been mine for a long time. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll check back in twenty eighteen when that happens. Um, <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, so that's our new segment uh, for this uh, weird hybrid episode. Um, and before we get to kind of the Oscar breakdown recording and Deadpool review uh, later in the episode, we're just going to do a brief kind of uh, potpourri segment where we, we're each going to take a turn, talk about something we've watched or something we're looking forward to, stuff like that. Uh, it's called potpourri. It's what the tagline for it is whatever we want as long as it smells good. And uh, we each have a few things to bring up. Yes, sir. And I think I'm going to start first, Tiny, if you don't mind. Okay, so 
I saw Hardcore Henry. Yes. Yes. This movie had had gotten a lot of I don't know if it got a lot of press before it came out, but it was it was, you know, it was talked about because it was a very unique project. Uh the entire movie is um uh, uh, from the first person's perspective, like a, like a first person shooter mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's about Henry, this guy who wakes up after, uh, he, he wakes up being put back together. Um, and he has some super soldier abilities. And it's basically him going from place to place, killing a bunch of people and trying to get to a certain point, basically. Um, Charlton Copley is in it in a supporting role that's actually kind of makes the movie for me. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, it's kind of hard to s- talk about this movie because I will say f- up front that the action, like the action choreography set pieces and the way that the way that the camera moved in this perspective as the action was happening on screen was really very refreshing and re- really kind of cool to see um, and handled really well and kind of fascinating at some points because I mean, just like my brain struggled to comprehend how exactly they were able to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, the big, the big selling point for this movie is that it's like a first person shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately it's like a first person shooter from like maybe 10, 15 years ago oh. when video game developers didn't give two shits about story. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. And this, I mean, it, <sighs> So it's about a 90 minute movie, 95 minute movie, and it's about, it's maybe an hour into the movie where we get any kind of, any kind of answer or any kind of plot details really. Um, and it's quite literally like he's, in the early parts of the movie, he goes outside and he has a phone that a character's given to him and he's, it's literally, he looks at the phone and it's like a map in a first person shooter where it shows you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, I, I understand I don't know if this is the intention or not, but I I understand if they were going for like, oh, this is like a first person shooter video game and everything. I can I can respect that because it captured that experience very well. The problem was was that you can get away with not having a story in a first person shooter in a video game because it's an interactive thing and you're controlling the movements and everything. You right. have that kind of story or that that kind of connection formed in your brain with it when you're just watching people do some crazy stuff on screen um, in this format, but you have no, you don't really have that much of a story to tether to. There's a little bit there. There's, there's a bit of a setup here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you don't have any context for why the villain is the villain or how the villain has these kind of telekinetic powers or, and it's just, it's a very bizarre kind of concept for a movie. And I'm of the thinking that when you, Take something or take a staple or, or take something that is so intrinsically tied to another medium, such as video games with this first person, uh, 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 camera technique and everything. And you adapt it to the film medium. You, and this is kind of ironic that we were just talking about James Cameron. You need to have, you need to adhere to the film rules and have like a narrative yeah. to carry you through because you have to adapt. You do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it just, it got to the point where while some, while a lot of the stuff going on on screen was very cool and visually impressive, I just did not care what was going on. Um, yeah, and it, and it's, it's very like misogynistic and everything, and it's, it doesn't treat women well in the movie. Um, 
or anything like that, which is another probably another callback to uh, the video game uh, format that it's aping, basically. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. It's it. The way that I I came away from it thinking this movie was a perfectly okay. Put it on Netflix in the background when I'm editing the podcast in my living room kind of movie. Because mm-hmm. I don't need to see the sound or anything, and it can look really cool. And um, and another thing that kind of bugged me is that when I say that it hits every beat of, or it it hits certain beats of uh, the first-person shooter video game um, genre, it it really does that. And it's it didn't really bother me that much until there's one scene in particular that um like up until this point they'd been doing some unique stuff there was some very cool set pieces and everything but then there was a scene where it's it's clearly like aping like a very iconic or very uh very famous first person shooter um one of the call of duty games there's a ghillie suit involved mm-hmm. and there's a sequence like that like that's similar to a level in a call of duty game um and it's to the point where like they make a very overt homage to it by copying like um, an actual like uh, the pretty much copying verbatim like um, um, the scene of of one of them like there's a scene in the video game where um, the you and a non-playable character are walking through an abandoned building and you're looking around and like they copy that camera movement exactly and it just it didn't sit right with me something about it was just mm-hmm. like I don't know. It felt too much like a video game at that point. Um, hmm, that's a shame. Of, yeah. Um, but yeah, but Charlton Copley really stole the show in it. Um, he plays a, he plays a mysterious character who keeps, who keeps popping up as different, as different archetypes or different types of people. Okay. So he has a lot of range in it and it's just so much fun to see him play it. Like he plays like a hippie and he plays like, a couple different types of people. It's it's really unique and interesting. Um, hmm. Yep, and also uh, a very fun use of um, uh, "Don't Stop Me Now" by Queen. Nice. Um, but I don't think I think Shaun of the Dead still used it better. I was gonna say that's um, a little derivative. Yeah, a little so. bit. But yeah. I mean, seeing that cut to an action scene is gonna be fun. Nice. Any day. Um, so that's Hardcore Henry. I think it kind of left theaters pretty quickly, but um, I recommend checking it out, I guess, as a curiosity piece. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely am super intrigued by it. Mm. Yeah. Let me know what you think when you see it, because it's, it's okay. I don't know. I, ha- I had a theory that it might kind of, um, it might kind of, t- its uniqueness might cause it to take off. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, the Saw movies did, right? Where it's like this is kind of cool, and the studio just overproduced the crap out of it um, and made you know six sequels. Right? And people were just sick of it, and but there was just enough of a fan base to keep spending money on it, so they right. kept making more. I thought it might have that effect, but it had the potential to do that. But yeah. I don't know, and I will say that I did not feel like motion sickness or anything like that, and I don't usually do that. Like I'm a yeah. fan of found footage movies, but I didn't think that it was any worse than a found footage movie, the, gotcha. visually speaking. I thought it was a cool idea for a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yep. Uh, so, Tiny, what do you have for Potpourri? And, um, and can I ask you, uh, when when you were watching this, uh, were you using uh, 10% of your brain or the full 100? <laughs> um, I don't even know if I have the ability to use 10% of my brain. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so if you couldn't tell by the reference, I watched the movie Lucy, finally, which uh, 
came out two years ago. It's like 2014. I 2014. Say. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a defender of Luc Besson uh, or Luc Besson, if you're from France, uh, cause I believe he is sure. French. So I, the professional is one of my favorite movies without right. question. Top tenor for me. I love that movie. Um, I think the fifth element is super underrated. Um, and so I'm, I'm just a defender of Luke Besson. He has a, he has a very distinct style that, uh, sets him apart from other like action adventure type directors. Um, and I, I think he's great. I think he makes good movies. Um, and I was hoping Lucy was going to be one of those. Um, just to put it in the broadest terms, it's okay. Really? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun, um, idea for a movie. Um, Unfortunately, it's kind of been done before. The movie Limitless with uh, right. um, Did Bradley that come Cooper. Out before or after Lucy, uh, it came out before. Okay. Um, so the, I mean, it, it's that's a similar similar plot. You know, there's this drug that enhances you, and you know, it's it's used to different effect in Limitless. It's more of an intellectual based um, advancement, but uh, and Lucy's more. I guess it's also intellectual, but it's you know, it's physical. There's all this action there that happens right. and everything. Um, so it's used to different effect, but it's it was just it was just too soon. It was too soon after the uh, Limitless movie came out, and I think it kind of it kind of got lost in the shuffle because of that. Okay. Um, but still, it's it it had it had some cool ideas in it. Um, the the whole I'm pretty sure you mentioned this before on the podcast, but the whole idea that we only use ten percent of our brains is <laughs> it's really it's it's just factually incorrect. It's uh, right. It's it's and, it's a misnomer, it, or it's yeah. it's mis it's a misunderstood concept because yeah. we don't actually only use ten percent of our brains. It's I think what that what people are trying to say with that is that our brains don't have the ability to use a hundred percent of our abilities at the same time. Okay, so like you can't you know it's the whole concept of trying to rub your stomach while you pat your head. Like your right. your brain can't do a hundred things at once. That's kind of what that's kind of what that's trying to say is that most people can only use 10%. Matt just tried to rub his stomach and pat his head for everyone at home. Um, so that, that's that premise right there kind of hurts the movie in a way. And and I get why people were uh, frustrated with that. Right. But and I don't see, and I'm of the thinking with, with that, like I make a lot of jokes about it, Yeah, but, it's mostly like I'm I don't have a problem with it. Like it's it's a movie anyway. Like I'm not going to argue like I'm not gonna like, it's a fictional movie. I understand that. But um my kind of problem with it was that that was so ingrained in the uh the promotional the yeah. promotions for it that right. it just it just rubbed me the wrong way. So I think that that's where I come from with that. Yeah. But I don't know. There were some cool scientific principles in it, um, and it kind of explores the idea of, you know, what what biological evolution is like, and what how humans are going to interact with technology, and um, it just it kind of has these interesting themes and uh, philosophical ideas in it that are I think they're depicted relatively well. They're a little sloppy and a little ham-fisted, but. Uh, they're, they're cool ideas and I ultimately like the direction that the movie takes and okay. how it ends and everything. It's, it's a very, uh, the ending's a little too sudden for me. I would have liked to seen it, um, explored a little bit further, mm-hmm. like an extra five or 10 minutes on the end of the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, 
it had it had plenty of flaws. There's tons of dialogue issues in the movie, and uh, Morgan Freeman's character was super shallow, just not really, really? not really developed well at all. Um, just just really a another character to bounce the main character off. It's mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't very fulfilling in that respect. Um, couple moments here and there where he was he was good. Um, not to discredit Morgan Freeman, but just the way the character was constructed. Okay. Um, but I don't know. And there's always cool action in a Luke Besson, Luke Besson movie. Um, and he, he we definitely got some of that in this movie. Um, but it was it was unique in the fact that it wasn't just all about blowing crap up. Um, the main character was was relatable and was definitely someone he came to care about throughout the whole movie. And it, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of respected some of the choices they made. Um, That's cool. But ultimately I'd probably give it like a, maybe a six and a half, maybe just a six out of 10, if that. Okay. Um, And that's, that's being pretty generous. I think, I think a lot of people would probably uh, put it more towards a five. Okay. But who knows? It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. um, I've always meant to uh, circle back and check it out. Cause I, I mean, I didn't really have, too much of a desire to see it in the theater, but then I heard some pretty positive stuff about it, and I just never got around to it. It's a 6.4 out of 10 on um, IMDb, the user rating, so... I'm right there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's Lucy, and I will probably check it out eventually, but... Yeah. Don't hold your breath, guys. Hmm. Um, Oh, I was a little bit annoyed by Scarlett Johansson's performance. She kind of, uh, she went down the kind of, like, robot, this, like, robotic path... Really? It was a little. It was a little distracting to me, and just kind of a, kind of an obvious choice to make. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred. I don't. I much. I much preferred uh, Mila Jovovich in the Fifth Element. You know, a, okay. a very fish out of water character. I would have preferred a performance more like that, okay. as opposed to to what she kind of went with. But do whatever. you think I'd like the Fifth Element? I've never seen it. And You've never seen the Fifth Element. I've never seen the Fifth Element, oh, okay. and uh, our friends Molly and Neri always give me crap for it. It's I haven't. Um, I, should, I wish I would have brought it because I have it on Blu-ray. You should have. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah it's that's underrated. Okay, I think it might be on Netflix or something. I started watching yeah. it at one point, and it just it was a lot more it was a lot more cheesy and campy than I expected it to be. It is, um, but there's tons yeah. of heart underneath all that. Really, there really is. Yeah. Eh, maybe I'll give it another, maybe I'll give it another shot. Cool. So yeah, so the next piece of potpourri or the next uh potpourri thing that I'm going to bring up is um, <laughs> I'm going to pull a tiny. It's a documentary. Hey. Yeah. Um <laughs> so this documentary came out last year. It's called Back in Time. It's about uh Back to the Future, the legacy of Back to the Future, the Back to the Future trilogy and the fans for the fans of the um the movies and awesome. uh, the impact on the, on people that the movies made, and it's a very it's a very well done documentary. It's very it's kind of a I don't want to say puff piece, but it's like it's a very positive. Like yeah, it doesn't go into it's not a it's not an analysis of the filmmaking or an analysis of um, what went on anything. It's it's all around a celebration of the movie and or of the of the franchise really. And having said that, like, it's such a joy to watch it. Um, cause it's, you know, you think like, okay, well this documentary is going to be two hours of people just circle jerking about, uh, back to the future and Marty McFly and doc Brown, stuff like that. Yeah. But it's not, it's just about people's love of this thing. And it's, 
it's really intoxicating to see these people whose lives revolve around this one thing, um, or how this how this one thing has influenced their lives on such a deep level. Mm-hmm. It's just so charming and so great to see to to see on screen. Um, they go to a couple like conventions and stuff like that, and um, like celebrations, and uh, they show. Uh, people that people that have they have a whole segment on the DeLorean and stuff like that, uh, like icons from the from the movies and everything. It's it's just a really it's a really fun documentary, um, and like the whole time I was thinking like I I think Back to the Future might be my favorite movie. Nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just yeah, that's pretty much it that I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, I had that in my queue. I haven't watched it yet. Really? It's yeah. a wow. I saw a documentary and you didn't. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um no, it's uh I recommend it. It's especially if you love Back to the Future, obviously. It's nice. well worth checking out. Okay. Cool. Yep. So what do you got for us next? Uh up next I have um I watched the two Mocking Jay movies. Nice. Um which, you know, that's the third book they decided to split into two movies. Right. Um Money Grab. So <laughs> yeah. I um I actually read the whole book series mm-hmm. before I saw the movies before any of the movies came out um and i you know i th- i actually like really liked the first book i thought it was great but then the two sequels i just think uh, suzanne collins just didn't have I, it it read like she didn't have a conclusion in mind she didn't she didn't she pointed all her characters in the story in a certain direction and didn't know how to uh continue them on that path that's that's what it felt like to me um, especially the third book was just, mm-hmm. oh man, it was like, it was, it felt like they were running in circles. That's what it felt like. <laughs> um, and, and unfortunately that, that, uh, feeling also transferred over to the movies. Um, I, I was completely unsatisfied with the, the, the last two movies. Um, but, but the silver lining is I was expecting it because I didn't like the last book. Right. Um, it, it really just, it felt like it felt like everything was just treading water, mm-hmm. and like I I can understand that um, because it's it's hard to drive a story and and round out your characters, um, but you should be able to come to a conclusive ending and and and, and this was the story was ripe for a huge climax. Right. Um. It's it's literally a. It's a war. We're talking about a war, a physical war, and a war of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's all this propaganda involved. There's the revolution, the, the revolutionary side, the rebels, and the you know uh, totalitarian government. Um, there, there's all these, there's all these ideas that try to sway the public to a certain way. Right. So it's a war of ideas and a physical shoot 'em up, kill people war. So that's that's just grounds that that that's grounds for a huge climax and it just it just does not happen right in the in the, in the <laughs> books or the movie and it's it's really disappointing um th- there's there's even a point at the end of the movie where you literally have troops coming together and they're about to you know fire off everything and we're watching this from the perspective of mm-hmm. Katniss Everdeen the, the primary character and she she like gets knocked out unconscious and so we missed the entire final climax. Like literally, there's it's like it'd be like it'd be like uh it'd be like the Soviets storming Washington D.C. in the mm. 1950s. You know what I mean? It's it'd be this huge epic battle, 
and we barely see any shots fire off or right. anything. And it's just like, I don't know. I just, I just did not. It just was such, such an un, unbalanced story. Um, yeah. and, and by this point, Candace Everdeen's not a very likable character. She's, she's, she's just yeah. a pain in the ass and she basically just gets lucky a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. She has a bunch of people looking out for her because they care about her for some reason. And these people die for her. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why? She's really not that cool. I mean, she's <laughs> nice to look at. Jennifer Lawrence is beautiful, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I was just, I just didn't get that. And, and you know, that, that started in the first movie, but I was able to look past it because it's really cool. But, uh, I don't know. By, by the, the fourth movie, the third and especially the fourth movie, I was just like, I, I don't care about, about Katniss Everdeen anymore. Yeah. She's just a terrible person, I think. Yeah, I think, um, I watched uh, Mark and Jay Part 2 in December, and I want to say in our first um, extended potpourri from this year, I don't remember the exact episode, but it's it's back in January, um, I talked about it briefly. I didn't really talk in depth about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my my perspective on it, because in the lead-up to it, obviously I had rewatched uh, the entire series. I hadn't, or the entire franchise, and I hadn't read... I've, I've read the first book. That was like back in 2012, um, but I hadn't read the other two books and having wa- after watching Catching Fire, um, I immediately thought like, you know, I, I can totally, I can actually get behind them splitting the third book into two movies mm-hmm. because the world of, um, Pan Am, uh, changes significantly for, or at least Katniss's perspective of it changes significantly at the end of Catching Fire to the point that they, I would argue that they needed that, um, that one movie buffer before the finale to adequately set up this new dynamic and this new the rebellion and uh, revolution and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, That was my thought going into the last two movies. Um, And yeah, the, I mean, the dialogue was kind of on the nose throughout a lot of, a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, That was one of my big, one of my big uh, problems with it. And also just, it just it was a squan it squandered the runtime uh afforded by these two these two movies because mm-hmm. I mean that first movie is such a drag, it's all set up for the last the last act and by the end of it, um by the actual conclusion for these characters, I just didn't really care. I didn't I didn't care who who Katniss ended up with. Um I didn't care what happened to the characters. And I thought that one of the more one of the biggest um events to happen toward the end of the last movie um i feel like that was really underplayed and really just did not it like it was too sudden to to have a reaction to mm-hmm. um and i thought that, that was that was wasted there too um however i did i i i liked katniss as a character um especially after catching fire because or even probably during catching fire and then after because she's I, I don't think you're giving her quite enough credit as a character because she was selected. She became a, uh, a symbol basically. And throughout the second movie, it's like them trying to, you know, the government trying to destroy this symbol. Um, and then throughout the last two movies, it's kind of like, if memory serves, it's, it's kind of like they're, it's them trying to make her more than a symbol and make her an icon for this this rebellion and it's her not knowing 
not knowing her place in this rebellion or anything. And I, I liked that dynamic a lot. I don't think they did, they, I don't think they handled it well, mm-hmm. but I liked that, um, on the surface at least that she's thrust into this. It's, it's really just a play on the reluctant hero trope, but yeah, it's, I, I thought that it was an effective setup for it, but execution wise, it wasn't that good. Okay. Uh, she was, I just, she was annoyingly reluctant. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I didn't, basically, one of my problems with the characters, there's these, uh, these two guys that are basically in love with her, the whole love, love triangle thing. And I, I just kind of want to be like, why? I, mm-hmm. She's really not that interesting. I right. mean, I, I don't know. I, and all these people care about her and stuff. And I guess they're viewing her from a certain perspective, just as a symbol or as a, uh, a leader and I can understand why they would adore her for that, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I never really got behind that character very much. Sure. Um, I, I'll give some credit to Josh Hutcherson in the last couple flicks. Um, I, he wasn't amazing or anything, right. um, but he had a tough job. He had, he had a tough tight rope to walk mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's, it's hard to play someone who's like crazy or like detached from reality and have been through a, an intense trauma and are questioning everything that's, that's difficult to do. And I think he he did it relatively well. Right. Um, again, not, not Oscar worthy or anything. Um, but I I was curious how he was going to handle that. Um, I, I don't know. I think the, uh, it would have been interesting to see, it would have been more interesting to see the, the true real, Peter Malark in the last two movies mm-hmm. instead of the shell of what he once was or, right. or something. Just him reacting to everything would have been a little more interesting. Yeah, I I think I that know. yeah, I think he did well enough with what what I think he did well enough. I don't think he's a great actor at all. Obviously, like you said, yeah, he's okay. He's, yeah, the the first two movies, I think he was distractingly bad. Really? Um, yeah, especially opposite Jennifer Lawrence because even even in blockbuster, Jennifer Lawrence, she's a talented actress. Oh yeah. Um. But I just felt like the the last two just didn't do anything for me. Gotcha. That's yeah. that's fair enough. Yep. Um, and then last thing I'll say about it is that I liked in the last movie some of the concepts of it were, were kind of okay. Um, and I liked that action sequence in the, I guess tunnels, mm. the sewer. Um, that was scary. Yeah, it was scary. It was frightening. Um, it was definitely creepy, and I thought it was done done well. It was a little. Just a tad bit uh, incoherent in places because yeah. I didn't know who the hell was doing what. But <laughs> I liked it; like it was a refreshing change of pace throughout the, in in uh, compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else on? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> underwhelmed by all of it. All right. Uh, so check back next week when Tiny uh, talks about the Divergent series. I did uh, mention, uh, was it last year? I think um, Catching Fire was that the second movie? Uh, in of Divergent? No, of uh. Oh, uh, Mockingjay Part One. Right, but what's the second movie? Is that Catching Fire? Yeah, Catching Fire is the second movie. The yeah. second movie. Okay, I can't keep it all straight. Right. Um, that that made my top ten. That movie's good. Right. I yeah. really liked that one. Oh yeah. That I liked everything about that one, but uh, man, it just. The first movie I didn't care for, and then these two, yeah. But that second movie was pretty cool. I liked that one a lot. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I enjoyed the second movie too. 
Um, yeah. Uh, so moving on, I am going to do something a little bit different, or not different, but before I talk about these next two movies that I'm just going to kind of group together, um, even though they don't really have much to do with each other. <laughs> Um, but before I do that, I'm going to talk about Amazon Prime, which I actually probably should have brought this up in news. Amazon Prime recently announced that they're going month to month. Like, they're going to offer the Amazon Prime uh, video service separately. I think it's going to be like $8.99 per month, um, which previous to this, like, the only way you could get Amazon Instant Streaming is if you had an Amazon Prime account, which is something I personally think is worth it because it's uh, $99 for a year of free two-day shipping yeah. <laughs> and uh, and their entire video platform, which I think has a pretty good selection mm-hmm. um, and everything. But uh, they're, they're doing month to month now. And just as an, a brief aside, it's funny to me that, like I tweeted about this, but um, them going monthly and letting you letting you pay monthly for the streaming, it's, it's kind of really long overdue. Yeah. <laughs> um, because... At least for me, like uh, back in January when my account renewed, I was like kind of scrambling to make sure, like, do I have ninety nine dollars that I can just spare for this year of of video service, mm-hmm. um, while I also have Netflix and Hulu to to go from and everything. Like, do I like if I if times were tight, I just would not get the I would not pay the ninety nine dollars, and who knows when I would be able to do it um, down the line. So I think it's smart for them to go month to month like this. Um, I think it's even, even though I think it's overdue, I think it's in- incredibly clever of them to do it at this time because Netflix is about to increase their monthly price for, I think like 13 or I think 13 million people, hmm. um, including me, um, the people that are kind of, that were grandfathered into the seven ninety nine price per month, uh, they're going to raise it to, um, <sighs> Uh, I think nine ninety nine or something. They're going to raise mm-hmm. it two dollars. Um, right. And so that's happening. It's just happening automatically. And I mean, if people are pinching their pennies or they're mad about it, I think that it's funny that Amazon is coming out with something that's at Netflix's current pricing point. I think that's just a very strategic way to do it or to to handle that. Um, and then I also heard I didn't I didn't actually read the article, but I think on hypable dot com they posted something that. Um, I should, really should have read, but apparently there's a rumor that Netflix is going to start offering um, uh, uh, downloadable stuff. So you, hmm. so which is funny because like Amazon has this feature. So okay, so if Netflix goes through with this, it will be similar to what Amazon has. What Amazon currently has is you can download anything on, uh, I think anything on their instant viewing thing you can download it to your tablet or anything like that so theoretically if you're going on a trip you can load up your tablet with a lot of stuff from amazon prime watch it offline on the plane and you're done um because you have amazon prime it's a very nice feature i've used it a few times right it's very cool yeah um and so the rumor is that netflix is going to have that come up uh at some point that's awesome possibly potentially i don't know yeah so anyway um yeah, so so having said all of that, um, there's an interesting thing that I went through on Amazon Prime. Um, so recently, I've been I've been going through a Stephen King reading kick. Um, I've been rereading the Dark Tower series. I've talked about that before, and then I just recently read for the first time Misery, 
Um, and as I am want to do with um, books that I read, I want to see the adaptation. Uh, the movie Misery was not, oddly enough, it wasn't available to rent on Google Play, which is my go-to rental service. Um, and it wasn't available streaming anywhere except for on Amazon, but only under their uh, the Stars um, add-on subscription. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh, Amazon and Hulu does this too with like Showtime and stuff. Um, but Amazon, on Amazon, you can add a subscription to Stars on there for I think an additional seven ninety nine a month. Um, and then they also have Showtime available there too, uh, for like eight ninety nine a month or something like that. Um, but what was what was kind of neat is that you can get a free seven day trial of the Stars add on subscription, and that's what I did. Is I just did the seven uh, the seven day trial. So here in a couple of days I'm gonna have to cancel, uh, or else they'll charge me. But um. So I'll talk to that. I'll talk about that in a, in a second. But I just want to mention that it's kind of cool because Showtime offers a 30 day free trial. Wow. So I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check that out next, uh, pretty soon. I think. Um, having said that, I watched two movies with the Stars add-on subscription on Amazon Prime. Nice. Uh, the first one was Misery. Uh, James Caan, Kathy Bates, adaptation of Stephen King's novel, which, after reading it, uh, became my. S- Second favorite Stephen King book that I've ever read. Awesome. Yes. Um, very good book. Um, and I really, I like anytime you you watch a movie that's adapted from a book that you've recently read, you have the nuances of the character motivations and the perspective of the you know internal uh, inner monologue of characters. You have that fresh in your mind, so it's going to dampen the uh, adaptation for you. And Misery is no exception there. However, I did freaking love Kathy Bates' performance. Yeah. Um, I thought that was just freaking fantastic. She played that, uh, she, she played the character as more sweet and innocent in the beginning. Like, like you were kind of lulled into this false sense of security with her that she's like, okay, she's, you know that she's crazy. You know that she's insane, that she's going to cause harm to this character, but it's, you're, it's really hard not to be charmed by her. Yeah. Um, there, she's kind of sweet in the movie. Um, and then when, you know, things go, uh, a little darker for her, it's, it's really quite, uh, a turn. And it's like, I think she won the Oscar for it. Yeah. And I mean, well deserved. Yeah. Um, and then also I really liked, uh, James Conn, obviously. I, I, I just love the small, the, the, confined story of it it's just two people in in a house mm-hmm. um then you get the subplot with um the sheriff of the town which is it's fine i don't think that they really needed to cut back and forth throughout the entire movie for it um just because i like i understand what they were going for and why they did it but i just i felt like that just kind of detracted from it for me mm-hmm. um but overall i thought that it was uh one of the better stephen king adaptations i've seen Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read the book and seen the movie, and I agree. Um, mm-hmm. it, we've talked several times about how hard it is to adapt his stories into yeah. quality films, uh, and this was one of them. I, I think the performances are part of it, but also uh, they didn't try to make it more than it was. You kind of mentioned the simplicity of it, how it's just it's two people almost kind of trapped in a cabin together, right. if you will, uh, partly by choice and everything, but... Um, there, there's a simplicity there, and sometimes keeping things simple makes it much more accessible. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Um, yeah, so that's Misery. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it is available with a, it is available on Amazon Prime with a Stars add on subscription. Nice. Um, and then the second movie that I watched with that was, uh, <laughs> a movie that I hadn't seen before, uh, written by John Hughes, uh, Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. Tiny, have you seen this? I have not. Oh, interesting. So I think it was from 1990. And it's, uh, Michael Keaton is a, he's an engineer for a car manufacturer who gets laid off and, uh, his wife, uh, gets a job as, as an, uh, at an ad agency. And it's just basically, you know, playing off the gender, uh, uh, gender role reversals where she, where he is, uh, challenged with being the stay at home dad while she is striving to be a career woman, um, in a man's career driven business world. Mm -hmm. This movie came out in 1983. I was way off on 1990. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, it plays off of, both of these characters in different roles that they're not used to and that uh, is kind of off um, the beaten path of their their what's expected of their genders at that time period, basically. Right. Um, and there is a lot of fun hijinks. Uh, there's there's some fun hijinks with Michael Keaton at home. Like he becomes obsessed with <laughs> uh, soap operas. He struggles to get the kids to school on time or, or uh, to get them. Uh, at school in the correct way. Um, he becomes friends with the other stay at home moms of the area. It's, it's kind of fun. There's one big set piece that I kind of thought was like, okay, this is a little too far. Cause it's like one of the, not too far, but it's like a little trying a little too hard. Cause it's like everything. It's like the kind of quintessential, like, okay, the stay at home dad doesn't know what he's doing. So everything that can possibly go wrong is going to go wrong at the exact same time. Right. And like, there's a runaway vacuum cleaner <laughs> and it's like, on paper, it's funny, but it's also like, just unplug the vacuum cleaner or yeah. turn it off. It's not that difficult. <laughs> um, but I did appreciate how much time was spent at, with Terry Gar's character, um, with some very, like, kind of serious problems. Uh, she deals with some serious kind of, like, sexual harassment problems with her boss. While also, uh, Michael Keaton's character, uh, also has the temptation of a, uh, lustful stay-at-home mom. Uh -huh. um, and, it, and it actually goes to a kind of serious relationship drama kind of place briefly. Um, and I wasn't expecting that, and I thought it was handled pretty well. Um, and I thought the movie overall was was done pretty well. I didn't, don't really have much qualms about it, except that the kind of slapstick nature of the humor uh, didn't really go quite... Um, it wasn't as consistent as I was hoping it would be. because. Mm -hmm. But then again, also... For that one scene where everything went wrong at home, there's a very quality scene with Michael Keaton in a grocery store, um, uh, trying to shop for, for groceries. So, hmm. Mr. Mom was pretty good, and, uh, I really liked Misery. And those are the two movies that I watched on Amazon Prime with add on subscription of stars that I have a seven day free trial for. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. Uh, so do you want to round us out for this week with uh, your last bit of potpourri? Absolutely. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, you and uh, Pat from the Nerds You're Looking For yep. podcast talked about uh, season two of Daredevil, Netflix's Marvel's Daredevils. Um, and I was jealous because I wanted to talk about it. But no, I, I didn't get a chance to finish it before you guys recorded that. And right. uh, it, it took me a little, little longer to get it watched. Um, 
and I, man, I really loved it. I, th- nice. There's, I, I've heard so many people. It's, it's, it's funny how conflicting it is, or how, um, h- how divided people are because. Mm-hmm. It's funny that people are trying to decide whether or not they like the first season better than the second season or the second right. season better than the first, which is such an awesome problem to have. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad that it's so, it's divisive in a fantastic way. Right. Um, it's not so much arg- arguing as it is like, you know, discussing. Right. Um, and, and it's like, that, that just doesn't happen very often. And it's, great that we're actually getting something like that yeah it's like uh it's like when you were kids and you and you would ask each other who would win in a fight between batman and superman yeah so fun hypothetical question (laughs) anyway go ahead yeah um but i i just love the direction they took everything um i i think they aimed really high with the first season um introducing a character like kingpin and Mm -hmm. having the primary conflict be with kingpin um i mean it, it did make sense but you know that's he's kind of the He's kind of the grand. It's like doing a Batman, uh, doing a Batman series and having the whole first season be about him and the Joker. You know, it's right. it's very it's it's high stakes in that respect. Um, but they concluded that well, and they, um, with this second season, they kept Kingpin slash Wilson Fisk very relevant, mm-hmm. um, which is something I didn't know they were going to do. Right. Um, but I really love the way they did it. Um. They they had an impeccable knack for weaving all these stories together and interlinking everything, um, and all of the characters. Um, I mean, the 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 range of emotion and the the development that all the characters go through was really impressive. Um, and and for me, it's most notably it's with uh, Karen Page. Mm-hmm. She was interesting. I, I think my her development was my favorite part of this. She nice. she's always been a very um, principled character mm-hmm. very principled person and you know sticks to her laurels and um all of that and and i like the way how she's she's basically molded that into like journalistic integrity right um having her move towards the the journalism stuff i think was an amazing idea mm-hmm. um and, and i just love her interaction with the the main editor guy right. who I don't even remember his name. Uh, I can't uh, remember his name off the top of my head, but I, I like that it was kind of the antithesis of her interactions with uh, uh, um, uh, Ben in the first season. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it's it's a very, um, dare I say, cliched uh, scenario or dynamic. You have kinda, the yeah. kind of the hothead or the hothead new hotshot reporter and the editor who's trying to keep him in check. But, right. but really this is kind of, it, it has a very... Um, very master pupil kind mm. of feel to it. He's kind. He's trying to aim her and direct her and point her in the right direction and stuff like that. Um, but I just, I really love that dynamic. Like I said, it's classic, almost bordering on cliched, but mm-hmm. I, it didn't bother me one bit. I, I just, I love the direction they took it. Um, she, I, that's, I think Karen Page was the most interesting for me. Um, although I, it's, this is kind of a classic argument that people have with, uh, comic book heroes and how they're you know they hide their identities i, I can't believe she didn't figure out that matt murdoch is daredevil <laughs> right. um you know it's like i don't know he yeah. doesn't he doesn't mask his voice that well yeah um there was a I can't remember who i think maybe someone tweeted about it or i saw it posted somewhere but there's a scene uh maybe maybe they brought it up on the nerds you're looking for but um there was a scene where <laughs> kind of early on where where matt and karen are in matt's apartment and she, they have like an argument and a glass spills 
and then she kind of storms out and everything. It's like in that in that situation, she is in the home of her boss who is blind, and a glass has dropped and, and shattered. Don't even doesn't even offer to clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all right. That's hilarious. Yeah, it, it might. It, yeah, it's it's a minor nitpicking thing. That's just kind of probably an oversight of yeah uh, on the production. But it it just seeing seeing that or hearing that wherever I heard it was uh, made me laugh quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think of John Brunthal? Man, oh dude, he was so great. Right. <laughs> he was so great, and they did such a good job writing that mm-hmm. character. I mean, they just cut right to the chase. Yeah. And they they didn't bother. I mean. There's some origin stuff, but it's not right. like it was an origin story. Right. Uh, the Punisher was ins- inserted into uh, Daredevil's storyline. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't. It, they didn't try to give him an origin, uh, which I think was a good idea. Um, they explained it well in, in dialogue and and how his, again how his story intertwined with everything else uh, was just really well done. Um, and there's a there's a particular scene where. Um, I think it's early on, maybe like the second or third episode of the season, maybe where uh, Daredevil and Punisher are in like a cemetery. I think it's the fourth episode. Is it the fourth? Okay. Uh, And it was kind of early, but uh, they're in a cemetery having a discussion after they just got bloodied up and beat the crap out of each other. Um, And and the Punisher is recounting parts of his life. Mm -hmm. And man... It was like it was Emmy worthy performance. I mean, just in that five minute scene, I was so impressed with John Bernthal. So good. I, I mean, so I, good. I got really choked up. Oh, absolutely. Like I almost cried at at this at an action show. You right. know, I mean, <laughs> he he was just phenomenal. Um, and and I think a lot of the credit, obviously, tons of the credit goes to John Bernthal, but mm-hmm. a lot of the more of the credit goes to the writers. I think. Yeah. They just did such a great job molding the character of uh, Frank Castle and the Punisher. Um, he, he just had so much depth. Um, and, and I mean, he seems like a very, like a very, very brash character. Who's very, uh, he's kind of, he seems like he'd almost be, it'd be easy to make him one dimensional, mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of a, just one idea in mind and that's it. But, you know, he, he has a one track mind, but it's because, of all these things that's happened in his life. And it's because he dwells right. on those things and, and they, they just explored that masterfully. So I love the Punisher. Me and, too. And Me too. <sighs> there's, there's talk of giving him his own show. I seriously hope that that happens. I'll binge it in one weekend. If oh, they me do. too. I mean, there's ugh. a, there's a scene with him. I won't give away the context or anything, but there's a scene, um, in a diner, uh, mm-hmm. where he's talking to, to a character and, like he's he's talking about um it in that moment it becomes a a very strange um uh comment on just relationships and stuff like that like just the it's it's kind of a warped viewpoint and everything but it's I, something about it was just like this is not something i would expect in an action tv show or a comic book show like this it mm-hmm. has a lot of heart to it and there's I mean, it's it's very layered, and it has a lot of different moving pieces to it because he's talking from his personal experience. He's informing um, uh, the character that he's speaking to, like she, like she's getting uh, more development out of that. And it's kind of a statement about you know human interaction. It's just it's just really well done. It is. Um, 
man, I just I loved it so much. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah. Um, I I also really appreciated what they did with Foggy. Um, because mm-hmm. he, I I don't think he was an aimless character, but I think he just really found himself in this season. He really, um, he gained a lot of independence, and I I, th- I think in the previous season his character really really relied on Matt Murdock and Daredevil to like kind of to give himself um, significance, I guess, and kind right. of feel important. But, you know, through the, the, the trial against Frank Castle, he found that he doesn't necessarily need Matt Murdock, that he's really a really talented lawyer just by himself. And he has mm-hmm. the ability to carry himself. He doesn't need anyone's, he doesn't need help necessarily. Like he, I, th- I think he, like, again, I think he kind of relied on other people, but he found his independence in this season. And, uh, Absolutely, that was incredibly satisfying to see him do that. Um, I, yeah. I think it, it needed to happen too. Um, I think so too, and I love Eldon Henson as an actor. Yeah, I think he's I think he's great. He really is. Yeah. yeah. So that was all. That was great. And then, lastly, one of the bigger storylines was all right. Uh, the hand mm-hmm. and Electra and and, and how, how yeah and stick and how they're all linked and um, I'm not going to spoil anything. Right. Um, but that was all. Again, the intricacy of it was really impressive. Um, I I didn't really know what to think of Elektra. My only reference for Elektra is Jennifer Garner in the <laughs> right. in the last Daredevil movie, um, which was uh, based on what we saw in in season two of Daredevil was a terrible representation of the character. <laughs> um, I I was really impressed with how they they used they made her so personal to Matt Murdock. Um, and, and, you know, partly she's part of the reason why Daredevil exists, mm-hmm. why he became Daredevil. And, um, they, they, they made her character so important in like two ways. Cause, you know, she could have just been a very one-off ancillary character, right. um, as could have the Punisher, but they made her so relevant and they grounded her. First of all, they grounded her where she had a past with Matt Murdock. Right. Which was a really chilling mm-hmm. exploration, like a very, you know, one of those, uh, universal questions you kind of ask yourself, you know, what would you do if you were in this situation? And right. they put her in that situation with Matt Murdock and it was just really, it was interesting to see him explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I appreciated that scene a lot. And then the way she's connected to the hand and the overall conflict made her even more important and, I, I'm just so impressed by impressed by their dedication to like, you know, uh, secondary characters. You know, they 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 don't they they leave no stone unturned, um, while still keeping their characters a little mysterious. Like it's just right. it's such an impressive balancing act that they they pulled off with all their characters in the show this season. Um, I, I I loved the I loved the dynamic between Daredevil and Elektra. You know that. It showed that Matt Murdock and Daredevil that he's still kind of finding himself, and, right? You know, he's he he's made decisions and he's he's stuck to his guns, but he came really close to the edge a few mm. times this season, which uh, I think was was a pretty bold choice. Um, I man, they were just hitting on all eight cylinders this whole season. Absolutely, um, I I haven't decided if I liked it more than the first season or not. Um, 
you guys mentioned the the action pieces, uh, mm-hmm. specifically the uh, the scene in the stairway. Yeah, my God, that's just so. I so I mean, awesome. I just sit there with a smile on my face, like, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this because it's just so impressive mm-hmm. that they pull something like that off, and it's so practical mm-hmm. and realistic, and God, it's just the rawness of 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 that. I hope they do that every season. Me too. Yeah, you know, I hope they set that precedent where they do something super immersive and like right. lengthy like that and just so raw. I, I really hope they do that every season because it's that should be a staple of this show. I, I agree. And I they do it. it so so damn well. They really do. It's yeah. I mean yeah. it's it's that's something you would expect out of a movie. Oh yeah. Not a show. It's it's got that it's got that levity to it. Um it's an impressive show. I man, I wish I can't wait for season three. Yeah. It's gonna be year. awesome. Um, I think before, I don't know if, I don't know if it's before season three or not, but, um, there's going to be, obviously there's going to be Luke Cage next. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I think this year, I heard that this year they're going to start filming the Defenders, which is the big team up movie. Okay. So it's going to be Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and then probably, I assume Jessica Jones season two, and then probably Defenders. I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I mean, you know, uh, it might be something different, but that's yeah. my perspective on it. So I just started Jessica Jones. Also, I'm about halfway through the first season, nice. uh, and I'm digging it. Nice. So, yeah, I'll report nice. back on that. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have for uh, the potpourri, which this ended up being its own. It did length, <laughs> length of an episode. So yeah. Um, like I said, like we said at the top, um, we're gonna add the post Oscars discussion and. Uh, our review of Deadpool that both have marred audio qualities. We're going to tack that on at the end of this episode. Um, just listen to it after the, probably after the end music before the uh, um, pre-recorded outro. But Tiny, uh, what are we doing next week? What are we doing next week? Oh, uh, we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're doing another Netflix picks episode. Okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which basically. This will be the third time we're doing it. It's where we both pick a number and then we each watch the corresponding number uh, or the corresponding movie in that slot in our Netflix queues. Um, and then we report back and review it uh, next week. So, yeah. So, we're going to basically just each pick one number and then we're, we're going to say what it is. And then we're going to review that movie Um for each, each one of us is going to review the movie that we pick for the other one next week. Tiny, what number? <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick for you number 24 because today is 420. Oh, nice. And if you add I... 20 and 4, you get 24. Okay, nice. I thought no. you were going to go with a, with a, like, weed thing, and I'm like, I don't. No. Cool, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't do that. Me either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 24, okay, nice. Um, I am going to pick for you a number that I'm going to say right now. Um, let's go with number 29, because we are an hour and 29 minutes into this recording. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is not fair um, to the listeners, because <laughs> um, number 24 on mine is Black Mirror, which, okay, so guys, have you guys seen Black Mirror? Because it is amazing, and I talked about it at length. I'm going to just skip to the next one on here, because I've talked at length about Black Mirror. Okay. And so, number 24 plus one on mine is 
Wayne's World. Oh, nice. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Because that's what they say in the movie. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so number 29 for me, uh, shocker, it's a documentary. Uh, it is a 30 for 30 called The Prince of Pennsylvania. It's about John DuPont. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. I've actually never watched any of those ESPN 30 for 30s, mm-hmm. but I hear people rave about them all the nice. time. So I'm looking forward to that. That is, I'm I'm probably gonna watch that too. Hopefully. Nice, nice. Um, did you hear Pat talk about Fantastic Lies? I didn't. I didn't the, get to that. Part. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, okay. Fantastic Lies is also on Netflix now. Nice. Um, it's another thirty for thirty about uh, the racial and other tensions that fueled a scandal in twenty uh, two thousand six when a stripper accused three Duke University lacrosse players of rape. But um, the Prince of Pennsylvania. It's funny because, um. Uh, Foxcatcher is one of the movies that are, are available with the stars add-on on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. So I may watch this with you and uh, watch uh, Foxcatcher. Go for it. I recommend you. Foxcatcher. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just to make things interesting, I'm going to randomly go through my... Since I... Okay, so <laughs> Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was a movie that was picked for me to watch months ago. Yeah. Sat down to watch it uh, to... Um, uh, the, two days ago, it's not available on Hulu anymore. That's uh, a bummer. Yeah, so Tiny's gonna loan me the uh, DVD or Blu-ray. 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 Oh, nice. Uh, Tiny's gonna loan me the Blu-ray, and I'm going to watch it at some point. Uh, in but, okay. <laughs> so we've picked our numbers. We've picked our movies. Tiny, you're gonna watch The Prince of Pennsylvania. Yes. I'm probably hopefully gonna watch it too, as well as Foxcatcher, and I'm also going to watch Wayne's World, and then as I'm uh, randomly swiping through my Netflix queue. I am, in addition to those, going to watch. Oh, here we go. Uh, Autism in Love. It, oh, cool. Yes, this uh, this is a documentary, uh, a sensitive look at adults with autism uh, with aut- autism spectrum disorders, depicts the complications, strains, and rewards of finding and managing deep romantic bonds. Um, this movie was actually at, I believe, it was at Heartland Film Festival. And I did not get a chance to see it, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Nice. I've heard good things. Nice. Nice. It's in my queue. Awesome. So, okay. So, join us next week for Prince of Pennsylvania, Foxcatcher, um, Wayne's World, and Autism and Love. And uh, stay tuned to this episode for our uh, couple months late um, (laughs) uh, audio quality marred um, review of Deadpool and uh, our thoughts on the Oscars. Um, just be forewarned, the audio isn't great, and at least, like, my energy, it was at a difficult time, and I just, you know, my energy in that is going to be lower and all that. So, uh, proceed with caution, thank you for listening, (laughs) and, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Oh, and check out my bonus episode that I'm going to have, have out soon with Brian Davids from Film Schlubs, uh, where we review 112263, uh, the Hulu original, uh, show, and, uh, gonna have him back on soon for the for a bonus review of the first season of the path which is currently on hulu so check back uh soon and uh we'll see you guys later thanks guys thanks guys so tiny did you watch the oscars i watched all 17 and a half hours smooth transition (laughs) um you're, for our listeners, he's exaggerating. Yeah. It was a fairly, uh, wow, and, wow. 
there was a much better segue I could have made there. <laughs> um, let, let's just talk. I, I watched it as well. I watched uh, probably about 15 hours of it because I fell asleep during two of it. <laughs> um, I dozed off during Best Director and Best Actress, like that area of, of time in the in the broadcast. Um so let's just talk about our just basic feelings about how the Oscars went overall. How did you think? How did you think that Chris Watt? How did you feel Chris Rock did? And I can't believe I almost said, almost accidentally said Chris Walk, which <laughs> it's it's going to come into play later because he made a, a a joke about Asians. Yes, he did. That it has gotten some backlash. So, right. what, did, what did you think of the overall presentation of the Oscars? Yeah, the uh, award shows just really aren't that great. I mean, they're just not right. typically. Occasionally, you get a really good host, and, and mm. they'll make it work. But uh, I, I, I never put a lot of faith in that. And I thought it was okay. Definitely one of the weaker um, shows, I think, of the last probably ten years. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if all of that falls on Chris Rock's shoulders. I think I think the stuff that we could detect, at least that I could detect that was genuinely his like his contribution to the show mm-hmm. was pretty funny. I'm I'm a fan of his in general. He's kinda he's kinda loud and obnoxious at times, but I think he has pretty on point jokes and, and I, I like him for the most part. And I, I liked a lot of his stuff, but um they really beat the uh the race controversy involved in this year's ceremony to death mm-hmm. i mean they just brought they kept bringing it up kept bringing it up i think it made sense to bring it up in the monologue because you have to you can't just let it hang there you have to address it but right. uh he brought it up in the monologue and then he brought it up at the first break and then he brought it up at the second break and then he was still bringing it up at the end of the show it's like okay we get it that's you know i understand and it's just like it, it was kind of it was kind of lazy it's like why why are you still beating this to death we've already right. addressed it so i was i was just ready to get over it and move on to some better some better comedy but mm. it could have been better yeah i i agree completely it and i mean i've always felt uncomfortable about the whole oscar so white controversy cuz i'm i'm a white guy in indiana i don't you know i can't pretend that i understand what it means to be you know affected in that way to have like have like my like to have my ethnicity misrepresented in in Mm -hmm. such a way. Um, But having said that, it almost felt like the constant barrage of jokes at the expense of that controversy almost felt uh, uh, a little diminutive of it, uh, of the importance of it or of the, of the effect of it basically. And I know that that wasn't, I know for a fact that wasn't the intention at all. Um, and, and Chris Rock, it's obvious that it was very important to him. I really, I really liked what he said. Kind of, I don't know if it was toward the end of the broadcast or not, but about how they just want, how, how black people just want an opportunity, how minorities just want an opportunity uh, to have the roles that um, that are so lauded upon by everyone else. And I, I totally, I'm totally on board with that. But just the constant barrage of it, just, yeah. I mean, like bringing up in the monologue, and then like. Like it, came, it got to a point where um, they did the Girl Scout cookies bit, and I was like, "Finally, something." Yeah, something different. Something different. Something lighter. Something cheer, like cheery. Um, so yeah, uh, it just, it just, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I mean, I'm not a big Chris Rock fan. I thought he did fine, but just the subject matter just didn't. 
it, the Oscars became about that, and and granted, the Oscars are supposed to be, I guess, this kind of faux prestigious kind of thing, um, but it it also just it. I felt like that was more of a platform for something that has been talked about ad nauseum and, and discussed, and they've promised that the Academy has promised that they're going to make changes and everything. It's like, okay, at what point do you keep beating a dead horse? I get it that they that they that they were wronged or or that there that there's been injustice um toward minority actors and and stuff like that but it's it's still an entertainment thing it's still the the broadcast as a whole is still created and 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 broadcast with the express purpose of um getting ratings and and getting airtime and and advertisers um and everything it's just if you're going to be that off-putting why i don't I don't know. It just, it just it bothered me quite a bit. Um, so yeah. So in closing on that, I'm, you know, I, I'm not. I, I think that there does need to be changes with the academy and the the voting procedures and all that. And I think that there needs to be some kind of some kind of change because it's not. It's even in terms of um, the lack of minorities nominated and and in terms of other things um, about the academy. I feel like the Oscars are not indicative of the quality of movies throughout the year. And that includes their exclusion of minority actors and, and performers and, um, filmmakers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so there does need to be a change, but I mean, you know, don't spend four hours just yelling about it right. <laughs> when they're celebrating, you know, the year in film. Yeah. I actually watched Selma, uh, mm. last week, which was one of the, movies that was mentioned in this controversy last year. Right. Um, and, you know, from that standpoint, I agree with the controversy. I think David Oyelowo should have been nominated for Best Actor. I thought he was fantastic. Really? Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and I think that movie could have used a couple of nominations more than it got. But I don't necessarily think it should have won any. Um, I, I took some issue with the, the, some of the the choices for the story of the movie and stuff like that. But uh, overall, it was a good movie, so I, I understand why people were upset about it. Right. Um, and and I, I agree with them to a certain extent. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. I still have not seen Selma, so I can't speak to the quality of that movie. But, yeah, uh, it was definitely apparent that there was a lack of... Uh, I, I mean, you know, we get into the point where, just, where, where we're just arguing semantics or arguing yeah. over who should have gotten nominated and, and whatever, but it is more, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not to the point where I can, I'm, I'm not a person who can really speak with authority over it. Yeah. So again, we're a couple yeah. of white guys in Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. With a kick-ass podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's talk about the winners and everything. I don't have yeah. the list like in front of me right now, but me either. I do want to point out, and this, like we said, we're getting back into the swing of things, guys. Um, um, so one of the things that I noticed during it was that I was very much not that invested with it. Yeah. Um, um, but one thing that really got me excited over it was that Ex Machina won Best mm-hmm. Visual Effects. Yeah. That was the one that was the one award where I I actually was like very much excited about it and I actually tweeted about it. I don't I'm not one to live tweet anything, so 
Um, so like I really only tweet when I'm, you know, I have something to say and that's the first time in the broadcast where I felt like I had something to say. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about that because that's a great movie and I love to see visual effects of such a subtle nature, um, being celebrated Mm -hmm. on such a national stage and on such a, such a, such a big venue, the most prestigious, uh, way possible. And I, I, I freaking love that about it. Yeah, I liked that win too. I was mm-hmm. a, I was a fan of that. Yeah. Uh did any other awards stand out to you? Um I was just ecstatic that Mad Max won 5 Oscars. Really? That's just awesome. Just, oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I I think first of all I think it deserved every Oscar it got. Mm-hmm. Uh and secondly, just that's not that kind of movie's not really in the Oscar wheelhouse. You don't really see right. a big action movie with a bunch of cars blowing up even mentioned in the Oscars, let alone winning five. That just really blew me away. And, I mean, like, for especially, like, best costumes, who else was even close to that? Like... That's true. Were there any of those other movies? I mean, like, yeah, I'm sure uh, the Danish girl and, you know, Cinderella had some really impressive costumes, but, like, no one's ever seen anything like what was done in Mad Max. Like, that's... It's just so unique and one-of-a-kind and just... Just so much creativity goes into that. Uh, That's true. I, I thought that was just like, uh, as they were announcing it, I was like, who else could possibly win this besides Mad Max? <laughs> um, and so I, I was just really happy with all those wins. Um, I thought uh, Mark Rylance, I think that's his name, mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actor, winning for Bridge of Spies, was kind of cool. I mean, I, I didn't have a lot. I, w- I wasn't very invested in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just kind of cool to see. I think he was the best part of that movie. Mm-hmm. We can you talk saw about, it? Yeah, I did see okay. it. Yeah. We can talk about it another time, but I think he mm-hmm. was the best part of that movie. Um, I, th- I think he outshined Tom Hanks, which is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. Um, I liked him a lot in that, so that was kind of a fun win. I liked seeing Spotlight win the Oscars that it did because I, I, I'm such a big proponent of that film and that's had such a, a emotional uh, resonance with me. So sure. I, I was really glad. And I picked it for, I think, both those categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really happy it won those. Uh, I think it was a pretty good night overall. I loved seeing Leo win. Yeah, um, yeah. Wanted to see him win for a long time. Mm. So, yeah. I I, uh, I saw, or, um, um, by the way, I don't, I don't mean to be so uh, um, dismissive of Mad Max. I just, I, I thought that it was a fantastic movie. Um, a great spectacle. I just, I don't think it, I don't think it deserved to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, maybe, I guess maybe, maybe it deserved nomination. I would have, I would have been very, not angry, not upset, but I would have been just a little irritated if it would have won Best Picture, because I, I didn't think it was Best Picture worthy. Okay. Um, so that's, that's where that kind of dismissive uh remark came that's from that's fair yeah yeah um i do think it it definitely deserved the awards it got um and mark rylance i i agree he was a, he was the the best part of that movie that movie was we we can talk about it later like you said but i i was kind of not i guess bored by it um or i wasn't as invested in in purchase Spies as i was hoping to be but he definitely he definitely stood out and i like that they awarded um such a such an understated and i guess i guess subtle performance as mark rylance is in bridge of spies like um like seeing i mean i i thought that mark ruffalo was great 
in um, uh, Spotlight. But like you know that they're only going to show – like they could only show that one yep. clip from Spotlight. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so, so I was happy to see that. I kind of wish that – I probably would have preferred to see Tom Hardy win because, okay. I mean, his role in The Revenant was just fantastic to me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so overall I'm, I'm pretty happy with pretty much all the winners, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other other things. I didn't get a chance to see Brie Larson win because uh, that yeah. was when I fell asleep. But, I mean, I'm, I was just happy to – I was happy both her and Leo won because mm-hmm. um, both were fantastic. Yeah, she was fun to watch just like all night because she was just having a. She had a really good time. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do with the Oscars, and right? She really looked like she was having a great time. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. I just. I, I'm just so happy that Leo won. Um, Me too. What did you think of the best director when that went to uh, Alejandro Iñárritu? Yeah. It yeah. Did. Yeah. For like that's like his fifth Oscar, I think, in the last Boy. five years. <laughs> Um, I, I can't, uh, I can't refute it really. While I took some mm-hmm. issue with the directing direction of, uh, of The Revenant, um, I, like, again, I, I can't take it away from him given, given the challenges involved with that kind of movie. Right. Uh, battling nature for every second your camera's on is just, I, I, I'm not a filmmaker, but that just sounds like hell to me. Um, and, and he pulled it off beautifully so I, I can't really take that away from him um honestly i i almost wanted to, i kind of wanted to see george miller win um, no me too that would have been great or um tom mccarthy um was i think he may have been my pick i don't even remember um he i love what he did with that movie keeping that that story on pace and on track throughout mm. that movie was a huge accomplishment um I think he did wonderfully. So I, I, that was a, a bit of a stacked category for me. But um, I, I love everything Alejandro Iñárritu does, so I can't. Mm. I'm happy to see him win anytime. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised. I guess surprised to see him win. Um, it, it's deserved because, like you said, that movie was fin- fantastic. But mm-hmm. I I definitely think that of the nominees, I would have. I guess I would have liked to see um, George Miller win, of course, mm-hmm. and I think that he deserved the win more than anyone else, really. I agree. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's that's a shame that he didn't win, but, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. He could be back. You never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah. And uh, Emmanuel Lubezki won for Best Cinematography. Right. Which was his third year in a row from Gravity and Birdman and now The Revenant. Which I, I mean, very, very well deserved. I mean, the cinematography in in uh, the, the Revenant was just outstanding. Yeah. Really. Um, and the fact that they used all natural light was just—it's mind-boggling the way that they could do that. Yeah. Um, absolutely. With, with the movie. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the other big ones: director, cinematography, actor, actress, um, supporting actor. Did we talk about supporting actress? I know that. Uh, Alicia Vikander won. Yeah. Oh yeah, Alicia Vikander. Yeah, I, I was happy with that because I Me actually too. Pick, I picked her in our our episode. Nice. I, want, I want her to win just because I'm excited about her future. I just want to see too. what she does, and this is a this win is only going to help her right. uh, land more roles and and stuff. So I I'm excited about her. Me too, and I, I was very happy to see her to see her win. And I mean, granted, of the movies she was in last year, Ex Machina was the best 
for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Danish girl, I, people celebrate her performance in the Danish girl, and I mean she did a great job and everything. I just think that the movie wasn't wasn't that good um, okay. and felt a little bit Oscar baity. Yeah, uh, for it. Um, but I was I was just happy to see her because she had such a fantastic year last year. Yeah, she did. And uh, I mean, granted, that's not really what the Oscars for and and everything, but it's nice to see that she got that attention and and will hopefully lead her to more big roles and and great roles in the future. Agreed. Um, having said that, should we just dive into best picture? Let's do it. Because I think that's about it. Um, best picture. Spotlight. <laughs> yeah, which I think was kind of a surprise for a lot of people. Oh yeah, both of our movie of the year. Yep. Um, which I just I just bought the Blu-ray, so I'm gonna check it out again. Nice. Soon, and I'm really. It's weird to say that I'm excited to see it again <laughs> because it's such a such a tough watch. It's such a tough subject matter to tackle. But yeah. I just I'm so happy that it won because it's. I mean that that movie had such a great presentation of such a very difficult such a of such a difficult topic mm-hmm. um and it's the the presentation of it was just handled with such care and uh, it was astounding it was fantastic yeah um yeah who did you expect to win um i kind of thought the revenant was going to win um i was really surprised at how much momentum mad max had i was mm-hmm. like dang if it wins that'll be nuts yeah um but i i didn't i didn't think it quite had the chops for that um so i was i was thinking the revenant was going to win um and i think that would have been a de- a fine choice i wouldn't have anything against that but mm-hmm. spotlight was my pick and i'm glad that it won same here i i definitely thought the revenant was going to get it um as much as i enjoyed brooklyn i i and to to a slightly lesser extent, Bridge of Spies. I didn't think they were best picture worthy. I didn't think Bridge of Spies was. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm. I think that they did a good job with that. Yeah. Um. For sure. Um. Anything else about the Oscars? I mean, there were. I think maybe the performances are worth mentioning. Um. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, song from uh, Spectre, the writing on the wall, which mm-hmm. ended up. Did that win best song? It did. It did, and yeah, that's right. Because Sam Sam Hunt or Sam Smith won, right? Um, that was, uh, I, I think, Sam Smith is an awesome singer. I, his voice, the way he controls his voice, kind of blows me away. Um, I liked his performance, and then um, uh, Lady Gaga's performance was incredibly powerful. Um, I have not seen that movie, and yeah, what was the deal with that performance? Because that was I. Kind of fell asleep during it. Well, the the or before the film is about survivors of sexual assault and rape, mm-hmm. um, and that's what the song is about. And uh, I actually watched a little bit of the red carpet, and uh, they interviewed Lady Gaga, and she's actually a survivor of sexual assault herself. Really, I so it was incredibly that. personal for her, um, and it obviously it meant a lot to her. So I really respected her performance and. She's just an amazing talent. I, mm-hmm. I I had no idea until her Oscars performance last year. I was like, right. man, she's actually a really good singer. I had no idea. Um, it's, she she just rocks rocks every performance she does, and uh, it was evident uh, on Sunday night. However, nice. that song is really like I really don't like the song that much. I think it's like really vanilla in like a very um, 
it has like kind of g- very generic lyrics. I, okay. I was not specifically I wasn't I wasn't very impressed by the song itself, but the hmm. performance was incredible. Um, Interesting. I'll say that. I saw that Brie Larson. I think it was Brie Larson hugged every one of the victims that they had there. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was kind of amazing how they. I I, re- I also liked the. Uh, Appearance of C three PO, R two D two, and BB eight. Yeah, um, to kind of give a nod to John Williams mm-hmm. uh, for what his fifteenth Oscar nomination. Uh, I don't know something offhand. like that. They mentioned it in the show. I was like, holy crap! Right, um, he's up there with like uh, Meryl Streep and mm. stuff like that. So that was that was a, that was fun. Nice uh, for the listeners. Um, Lady Gaga performed the song uh, "Till It Happens to You." Uh, which was a, which was written for the documentary The Hunting Ground. Right. Um, so I'm I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I definitely want to um, see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. As far as performances, I I mean I I don't really have an ear for that kind of thing. So I mean yeah. it was you know they were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones I saw, I like I said, I fell asleep during the during it. I really liked uh, Dave Grohl's. Um, Tribute for for yeah. the in memoriam segment. I thought that was really well done. Very good. Um, yeah. Um, so there was a controversy over Chris Rock. Yeah. And he, I, I guess he had there were there were some Asian children up on stage with him, and he said some like it was a joke at the expense of the stereotypes of um, Asians being good at math, and and uh, I think one of them even had like a Jewish name, and. Um, uh, I'm just going from memory from what I read because I think this was while I was asleep. Um, this is the worst recap of it. But anyway, um, uh, he also said the the big one was that um, you guys. He said something to the effect of "You guys can be outraged," but or he's like, "You guys can be outraged, but go ahead and just tweet about it on the phones because on your phones that these kids made for you." Oh yeah, which. I laugh. It, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I, I'm, I have kind of a dark sense of humor, but that's yeah. also wildly inappropriate. Pretty much for something that you've spent hours talking about the lack of diversity and how wrong it is for for the, uh, for the Oscars to exclude um, minorities. Like just to go and make that much of a joke at the expense of uh, of. A, a, for using stereotypes and stuff like that just that rubs me the wrong way yeah definitely. Um, yeah so i don't i don't know whose decision that was or who pitched the idea or why it wasn't shot down immediately but <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean that, that we can kind of wind down is there anything else you well want in to? that same vein there was the whole uh Louis C.K. Preventing, presenting um, the Oscar for Best Documentary Short. I don't, I don't remember what happened. Really? Oh, he, yeah. Uh, well, he was. It was really funny. He was basically talking about how it's the uh, the most deserving category because no one makes a dime off of those movies because it's <laughs> like a documentary short. Right. And he was saying like, God, he was saying like, this is the most important thing that will ever happen to these people oh my God. or something like that. And he was like this, he was like, you guys all, these people make incredible movies about really important subjects. And so do the rest of you, but the rest of you get rich from it. These people <laughs> don't. This was, he was like, this Oscar's going home in a Honda civic tonight. 
<laughs> it was really oh funny. God. That's uh, fantastic. It was a little insulting, but right. it, was, it was so like true and funny that I, I don't wow. think some people were a little disparaged by it, but uh, I thought it was mm. hilarious. I love Louis C.K. Anyways, oh, yeah. So. Um, wow. Yeah. I think season five of Louis is going to hit Netflix this month. I might try to go through all the all the show. Nice. Um, yeah. So overall, I, I think that we were... I don't know. I, I personally was not really that invested with the Oscars this year, despite having seen, I mean, probably in the grand scheme of things, in terms of the amount of movies nominated and the amount of movies I saw of those movies, this is probably the best year I had or the best, the best positioned I was to be invested in the Oscars. And I still, they still couldn't do anything for me. Yeah. So, and granted... I mean, that could also be because of circumstances in my personal life at the right. time, because I'm, you know, I've been going through some some stuff, but um, it still just didn't. I just couldn't. It couldn't reel me in, and that's a shame. And I don't know if it was because of the Oscar so right. Uh, wow, Oscars <laughs> so white. I'm so sorry. Uh, controversy and them beating it over the head, beating us over the head with it. Not even beating us over the head with it, but but beating it down so much throughout the entire thing that it lost its, uh, frankly, it lost what importance it had as a, as a conversation tool, really. It turned right. it, turned it into a joke. And I don't think that that's for, for something that is so substantial to the industry as a whole. I don't think that's, it's something that should be joked about so heavily and, and made a gag of because it's just, you know, what if this was the high, well, I, I don't want to make that comparison, but I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's a shame. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So having said that tiny, we were supposed to record, um, a review of Deadpool two weeks ago. Yes. And unfortunately we couldn't do that given the circumstances of, uh, stuff happening in my life. Right. Um, so regretfully I had to cancel the recording. Um, and now it's, Three weeks after we've seen the movie, <laughs> I've had I've been to hell and back, so yeah. the the movie isn't that fresh in my mind. So we're we're gonna, we're wow, we are going to go ahead and review it um, as best we can. Just kind of a kind of a you know general laid back kind of conversation about it. So yes, what did you think of Deadpool? I freaking loved it, like pretty much everyone else in the world. Because uh, pretty much everyone else in the world has seen it, it's going <laughs> to seem like totally reactionary that we're reviewing this now because we we planned to record about it like days after it came out, right? Um, and I saw it opening night. Yeah. Um, I had I went to a special pre screening of it mm-hmm. actually. Um, so we're not just doing this because it turned out to be a huge hit and right. a ton of people have seen it and it's the highest grossing rated movie all time all that stuff um that's not why we're reviewing it. we were reviewing it because it's we thought it was going to be funny and it turned out to be really good um also because we didn't have a lot of prep time for the oscars discussion so we doubled true true yeah but uh that's a joke i'm kidding go ahead uh i really love the movie it 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 just it hit the mark so perfectly It, it reminded me a lot of i think a lot of people are making this comparison um it reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy because it was, it was something you know that comic book movies are just a part of the movie going season every year now, and, mm. and that's fine. I love that, but um, it, this set itself apart. It's so it's so different from any other comic book movie, and it's something refreshing that I think 
people in that demographic wanted to see. Um, I fall into that demographic and I'm totally one of those people. Um, it, it, it made it, it was so fresh and new that it was bound to be a hit. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm glad it's found that, found that audience. I really loved it. I did too. I, I really, really, really liked the movie. It was, uh, it was fantastic. It was such a fun, fun movie. Fun is the word that I keep throwing around for it when I think about it. And I mean, it's apt because it was such a just such a blast to watch it. I thought that they did the right amount of uh, fourth wall breaking and uh, you know running commentary from Deadpool. I thought that that was handled so well um, and with just the right amounts of of timing and and such great comedic timing. Really, mm-hmm. um, the the inclusion of the the X Men characters uh colossus and the other character um that was that was in the movie i thought that that was handled very well it was a great way to kind of kind of bring deadpool into that universe with that while also affording him time to kind of poke fun at it and the conventions of it and the convoluted nature of it at times the meta-ness of it oh yeah i thought that was i thought that was handled very well um and i mean the storyline overall of the entire the the plot line of the movie really i i kind of thought that it was you know i mean it was it wasn't formulaic but it was still kind of a it wasn't anything too memorable to really write home about there was part yeah. of it was an origin story part of it was a damsel in distress story story part of it was you know discover not really discovering his powers but um becoming deadpool and it, i mm-hmm. mean it was just kind of a tired a little bit of a tired retread, tire retread. T- wow, a little bit of a tired retread of of formula, but kind of packaged in this um, incredibly meta and very uh, enjoyable package uh, with a R with an R rating. <laughs> yeah, um, which is which isn't bad. I mean, that definitely made it very. Um, very enjoyable and fun. Like that's the word I keep coming back to is fun. And yeah, I won't fault it for, for that. Um, it, it, at all. it definitely was formulaic. I, I totally agree. Um, and it had a very, again, a very generic villain who, mm-hmm. who was not, wasn't really well-rounded. Wasn't all that interesting really. Right. Um, but was pretty menacing. I mean, yeah. he, he was fairly menacing. I'll, I'll give him that. He was definitely an evil person, uh, without question. Um, but you know, I, I, he, Ajax slash Francis is not going to go down as a, a legendary villain in the, the Marvel universe. Um, right. And this, this whole slate of Marvel movies we're getting, I don't think he's going to be particularly memorable. Um, but the, the, the movie was focused so much on the origin story, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. I thought it was going to kind of rush through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it handled it really well. It was all paced well. I mean, it wasn't, I don't think there was a lot of dwelling on things. I thought it was all handled just perfectly. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I loved all that five out of five chimichangas for that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll see it again. I'll own it and I'll, I'll gladly see it again. Um, so it was a lot of fun. What did you think of the, um, action scenes and, and the kind of, you know, the, the R rating really? <laughs> yeah. I thought they were great. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that leaked footage of when he attacks that, you know, convoy. The, yeah. Um, that's like that whole scene is just so amazing. It's just so well done and it's, 
you're laughing your ass off and you're shocked by the visuals of it and it's it's appropriately gory i i just think there was several instances of action that were similar to that and incredibly enjoyable as a result again the r rating really yeah really set it apart from a lot of that stuff right um i i enjoyed that too i thought it was i thought it was fantastic the movie i thought the movie was great the movie was great and i'm curious how, where they'll go from here and i i don't know where they're going to take it with the sequels or or how how or if he will um be factored into the x-men universe properly but i'm super super excited for it yeah um yeah i don't think he's going to be meshed in with the x-men at all i think they've kind of come out and said that he's not really gonna make appearances in x-men movies okay um that's fine and 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 i i understand that and to a certain extent i agree with it uh Mm -hmm. but i think it's going to be pretty detrimental to x-men i think a lot of people are gonna really because everyone's everyone's just loving deadpool so much and he's so unique and having such a huge impact that he's not going to be melded into the universe and people are going to be pissed about it. Um, and, and I think having something so fresh and new is going to make even the good X-Men stuff feel a little dull. And I don't know. I, I think I think it could have that impact, but time will tell. It could. And I think that Deadpool came out at a really unique time with comic book movies as a whole because it's... It's very much like like it's at it's at a prime time for for these kinds of movies. I mean, there we're right on the cusp of getting um, of getting oversaturation of comic book movies because mm-hmm. DC starting their universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe is going strong. Uh, you have X Men kind of rebooting their their. Uh, their franchise or, or at least course correcting it to the point where they can create more movies and, and you have, you you just have a ton, a ton of stuff. Um, so we're like right about to the point where I feel like where the bubble might burst soon. Yeah. Um, but we're not quite sick of it yet. Yeah. And then Deadpool also has this meta aspect of it where he's, you know, it's very, it comes at a time where media we're consuming is like it's very it's very in to be meta and it's very hip to be meta. I just watched Fuller House and um, spoiler for the feed. I think we're gonna have a bonus episode about Fuller House in the coming in the coming weeks um, with a new guest on the podcast. Actually, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, there's like in even in Fuller House, there are these little winks and nods. Um, in, in fourth wall breaking, um, that are, that's very meta. It's, it's just, it's just something that is in right now. And for Deadpool to come out at a time where we're getting tons of comic book movies and tons of meta content across the board and to do both things so successfully and in tandem with each other and, and be such a complete package in, in that regard, um, the plot, the kind of weaker plot elements notwithstanding is something to be really, uh, no pun intended, marveled at. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that should be really appreciated and, and noticed, really. Agreed. Um, what that does for future Deadpool movies, like when we get oversaturated with comic movies, which is bound to happen. Yeah. Um, that, that remains to be seen, but um, it's nice to see that they had a successful first movie. Totally, totally. Some of the meta-ness was a little, um, again, to, to kind of 
bring back the phrase kind of kind of beating a dead horse with the mm-hmm. uh the references to the first iteration of Deadpool that Ryan Reynolds played in the X-Men Origins Wolverine right. movie. Um I thought the first, you know, first couple references were funny but then it just kept going and there's reference to uh, Green Lantern and stuff mm-hmm. and it's just it was a little too meta, I think. Um I th- I don't know. I, I would have appreciated, I think, one reference for each thing, but sure. I don't know. Maybe I think they just they just did a few too many. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to see it again to get a better idea. And that's one of the things that I kind of wish I would have had the chance to see it again because um, there's no telling how I'll feel about this movie seeing it again because a lot of it is a new. A, a lot of it is is kind of new to new to audiences. It's something that we haven't really seen in a traditional comic book movie and i mean that first viewing is going to be just astounding to us and it's a it's makes me curious how it'll hold up to repeat viewings yeah um yeah so is there really anything else we need to talk about about deadpool i don't think so like i said five out of five jimmy Jongas. yeah <laughs> really loved it nice i i really enjoy it. i think i rated it four stars i don't even know if i put it into letterbox yet or not i'm so behind on that but yeah, yeah. Circumstances, but um, yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, that about does it. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at IamMikeWhite. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.